Hey you, thanks for hitting play and welcome to the Canadian Cannabis Update. In this podcast, the premise is to give leaders and organizations an opportunity to tell their stories and share information. And if you like what I do, please tell your friends to subscribe as well, either directly to me, Canadian Cannabis Update Podcast, or to the group we have, Cannabis Media Collective. You can find everything out and more at distinctmedia.ca. All right, let's begin by thanking our sponsors. They're amazing. They're at Keep Me in Business. Firstly, Harvest Medicine. Now, Harvest Medicine is a patient-centric clinic which offers free medical assessments for people just like you or me looking to explore how medical cannabis can help improve our lives. Now, if you want to learn more about Harvest Medicine or to book a free consultation with Harvest Medicine, the easiest way is to just go to their website, hmed.ca. I'll spell it for you, hmed.ca. So huge shout out and thank you to Harvest Medicine. I'm also sponsored by GrowTech Labs. Now, GrowTech Labs is based in Vancouver, and they're bringing together a new generation of diverse cannabis sector innovators from across Canada and around the globe. So what does that mean, right? Well, it means that they help entrepreneurs develop market-leading products for the recreational and medical cannabis industries. So if you work with GrowTech Labs, they'll help you by combining access to financing and they'll assist you with the delivery of world-class programs rooted in innovation, entrepreneurship, and mentorship. Ultimately, GrowTech Labs intends to expand British Columbia's influence as a global cannabis capital. So thanks again to GrowTech Labs. And hey, if you have a business and you'd be interested in sponsoring Canadian Cannabis Update, just reach out to me and I will send you a media kit. You can either go to my website, CannabisUpdate.ca, or you can email me, Michael at DistinctMedia.ca. I recorded this one about a week ago, and I've been looking forward to publishing it for you to hear. Many of you already know who Jungle Strike Guy from Twitter, or as I refer to him, Infosec Dan Fielding is. You could call him a man of mystery, or you could just call him a nice guy. For today's interview, we have the man himself, Mike Zamuda. He does cybersecurity work in the cannabis space. He's a writer, and he's a bit of a Twitter influencer as well. Mike talks about his work, he reveals quite a bit about himself, and also gives some solid perspective on the industry in general. We seem to just chat and let things flow naturally in this conversation, so I hope you enjoy. We have a special guest on the podcast today. Some of you may know him on Twitter as Infosec Dan Fielding. Uh, he's also known, am I allowed to say your real name, Mike? You sure are, yeah. Too late now. <laughs> yeah, Mike yeah. Zamuda, uh, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, sir. Well, I'm curious about you for sure. I've seen you online for quite some time now. You're extremely yeah. knowledgeable about what's happening in the cannabis space, and uh, you seem to be everywhere. So start off by just telling us who you are. Uh, my background has been mostly in technology, as the Twitter handle probably um, indicates. So... Prior to cannabis, uh, what I was doing professionally was I worked for General Electric for a while, mm -hmm. uh, doing industrial automation, software development, and a few other things. And after that, I kind of transitioned to TELUS and was kind of the security czar for Optic TV, as well as helped launch various aspects of that service. Okay. And from there, I was lucky enough to be able to transition into the cannabis industry with Tantalus Labs mm -hmm. and was kind of doing the influencer thing on the side when I was at TELUS. And I guess on a personal note, I've been kind of in the activist sphere for a while, more on the side of 
things like internet freedom, internet privacy, and that kind of thing. But yeah, that's kind of me. Why are you interested in the cannabis space in general? Yeah, so I was a MMAR patient. Uh, when did I get registered? So I think in like 06 or um, 07, a while ago anyway. So I've always been kind of around cannabis medically and, you know, obviously recreationally too. And once the industry kind of got going, I mean, really it began even with the MMAR being there for a while. It really began in 2014 with the MMPR. And at that point, I guess I wasn't really on board with it. And it was more through the lens of like activism and, you know, I think it's fair patients have a gun in their head, Mm -hmm. basically that they have to buy from these companies. So at that time, you know, I wasn't into buying like canopy stock. I kind of said to myself, well, you know, if these patients are going to be forced, I'm not going to profit from this. So kind of wasn't pleased with the industry around that time, but as it kind of, transition as we had to change in government and the regs kind of went from completely ridiculous to less so. Mm -hmm. I kind of viewed it as a good time to jump in. I mean, plenty of people have kind of referred to this as as the next dot com, which it Mm -hmm. kind of is, and it kind of isn't. And I just think it's good. Like, I think the way things have kind of gone is a little bit unfortunate from the perspective of, you know, this is a really good chance for the injustice, more or less, of cannabis prohibition Mm -hmm. to to be fixed. And, you know, in in some ways, the industry is very corporate and kind of getting away from that. But like Bruce Linton, um, I kind of said that, you know, I wasn't going to miss the chance to kind of kind of get involved with this. So, uh, yeah. You're a writer as well. And um, one yep. of the things that you do is, or you did formerly, I'm not sure if you do it anymore, attend cannabis-related events and do live tweeting and live reporting. Why did you decide to do that? So that I am kind of still doing. I'm a little bit busier than I was at Telus. Like my situation there was pretty much all work from home. So I'm not able to get out to all of them now, but um, I do try and still go. And how that actually started was it was one of the last panels at Lyft Vancouver last year. And it was kind of the first conference I went to. Mm-hmm. It was actually with Jamie Shaw, Adam Greenblatt, and just talking about um, drug policy in general. Okay. And and it was just, um, I kind of just on a whim because I kind of finished visiting with everyone. So I was kind of there by myself. To probably, you know, try and get this on Twitter somehow. So with that, like, I just thought once it started catching on that, that this is a good way to kind of deliver that content to people who, you know, might not be able to make it out to those conferences. So it really began as a whim, but but it's kind of provided value. Uh, let's talk about what you do for a minute here. Now that you're in with Tantalus, your title there is Security and Systems Manager. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So in that role, there are a couple things I do. Uh, there's obviously the security side. So within the Cannabis Act, framework, each LP is required to designate someone as a head of security to more or less be responsible for for all aspects of security and things like the security pieces during Health Canada visits. And it was actually a, a fairly seamless transition of that role. It was previously for Optic TV, as I mentioned, it was kind of the security czar and writing policy documents, which are roughly equivalent to standard operating procedures in the, in the LP world. Mm-hmm. And also as part of that role, I also work on general technology products for the company. So uh, yeah, that's kind of my main two focuses at Catalyst. Well, you are a perfect example of somebody who had a profession slash skill in a different area and were able to take yeah. it and transplant it into the cannabis space. So has that transition then been pretty seamless or are there noticeable differences that you have to deal with now that you didn't have to before say at TELUS or at GE? Yeah. 
Uh, tell us, we did have regulatory obligations in terms of PCI and like dealing with billing information, but it is a lot more regulatory focused in the cannabis space. So it wasn't that, I guess it was, it was a real jarring transition, but like there are different things to worry about. And I think that definitely there's a bigger regulatory component to it versus the more traditional tech slash telecom stuff. But there are quite a few similarities. For example, one of the pieces that's required now by the Cannabis Act is an organizational security plan. Reach LP unless you're a research um, LP or a lab. And as part of that, there's a requirement for a privacy FOP and kind of what happens if you lose customer information, which we were definitely required to have it uh, tell us to, not by um, any regulatory standards, but just by the privacy office so we don't get privacy complaints and that kind of thing. I'd say overall that some of the focus might be different, but I mean, in terms of the core skill set, it's pretty much the same, like knowing how to deal with technology, uh, knowing how to write things, knowing how to, how to communicate. Well, let's talk about your CEO for a second, get you in trouble here. Dan Sutton, yeah. he's a bit of a social media darling. What's he like to work for? Yeah, so I mean, Dan's one of the most chill guys to work for. He takes his work with Canalys very seriously, mm-hmm. but that doesn't translate to an overly corporatized environment. So there are times when it is kind of crunch time, like no different than any other job, but it's not overly stressful. I mean, I would say that in those kinds of situations that it's a lot better than any of the other corporate jobs I've, I've worked in other GE or, or, or Telos. Like mm. I, I can remember having to rush to get code done and get features done at, at GE for a demo that was taking place to, at, a, at a conference. Now, that's probably more due to the nature of, of like software development, but, but still, there was a lot of stress involved in that. And also with Telos, because at the time that Optic TV was kind of a bit younger, we were in fierce competition with Shaw. Mm-hmm. So there was always rushes to get features out before Shaw would have it. So in that vein, I mean, he's a really good guy to work for. The working environment is very good. And yeah, it's kind of a a, a really unique place to work in given uh, what SunLab does differently than some other LPs in terms of having sun-grown cannabis and very much being focused on sustainable agriculture and that kind of thing. But uh, no, definitely no complaints about working for Dan. Going from an extremely corporate environment to an environment like Tantalus. And I haven't met Dan, but he seems like he's super cool. Must be sort yeah. of like a load off your shoulders. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like in this industry, we are kind of creating standards as we go because it's it, it's so young for like how things are done. And like not just Tantalus, but like the industry as a whole. Yeah. So in that way, it's a lot different than some of the bigger companies because they've kind of got their processes in mind. And some of them, not gonna, I'm not going to call any companies, but some of them have processes for the sake of process. And when you kind of ask them why they do something. They say, well, it's um, in the policy document without fully understanding why it's in the policy document. Kind of right, thing. right. So, um, of course. Yeah, in that way, it's it's really good to be able to kind of craft those and take lessons learned from the bigger companies, like not to say there weren't some learnings done there too, but to kind of integrate them into a different industry is pretty cool. What kind of security threats do you guys anticipate you could actually have? Like, what are you looking out for? Yeah, so on the cybersecurity front, it's a little bit, I guess, less of a focus. Not that it isn't an important focus, but in terms of the overall security portfolio, I guess there's a lot of physical security stuff, just mm-hmm. like door access, like access to, to cannabis areas. But 
On the cybersecurity front, it really depends on how the company has laid things out. Things like how much do they have on-premise and how much do they put in the cloud. So on the privacy front, that's kind of one thing to worry about for LPs in terms of like where are the servers for your cloud platform located. Um, most things like Amazon Web Services and whatnot do have data centers in Canada, which is nice. So there's the privacy concern, but in terms of things like malicious actors, yeah, like pretty much how much have you put on the public internet? The trend is to have very closed systems, and with that, you just have to manage access to those systems, making sure you have good access control, and basically making sure that you don't put anything on the public internet that doesn't need to be. That's like the one biggest thing I would say to like any micro that's getting into this or or, um, any new LP is that, like for God's sake, don't put anything on the public internet. You probably battle a lot of the same types of demons as people in your position at any type of business, I would imagine. Yeah, like we may have a higher regulatory obligation, but a lot of it's the same stuff. Like we deal with the same kinds of privacy issues that any kind of medical clinic. Um, Telus actually has a healthcare vertical called Telus Health that basically deals with like software in in a doctor's offices and and, like we deal with. patient information, obviously. So yeah, I mean, uh, there are some unique things, but a lot of it is fairly similar to what other companies would deal with. Okay. Question for you, just from your knowledge of the space, and this is very general now, how do you anticipate things going forward in the Canadian market in 2019 and beyond? Give me some of your predictions. When it comes to Canada, it's going to depend on what government we have in October or whenever they call the next election. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's looking like it, it may be the conservatives. I don't think it's even possible for Shearer to completely overturn legalization. I mean, he has kind of said he won't, but just with the amount of you know publicly traded companies, I mean, we all like to beat up on, on the big companies, but they're a main reason why you know, legalization in some form would survive a conservative government. But mm-hmm. things we would have to worry about if that does happen are, are are like that maybe they'll just change the legislation for extract and edibles. That law does say that regs do have to be brought in by October 17, 2019. But I mean, they could just change C45 to say, well, no, and just pause it because one of their narratives have been, you know, that we're rushing this whole process. Yeah. Um. So, so there's that to kind of... I don't know, like not worry about too much, but just to kind of keep in your mind as, as you know, something that um, it may happen. I think with extracts and edibles being legal, we'll see kind of a paradigm shift. Like, I don't think it'll almost be as big of a change as October 17th was. Everyone's kind of betting on beverages, but I think that with all the hype being put on them, that they can only be some form of um, disappointment. Uh, <laughs> but... But I mean, I will look forward to them because as much as I've really been an advocate for lounge culture and for public consumption, you know, it's it's far easier to kind of get a cannabis drink only place going and kind of get local governments comfortable with it versus a lounge because um, I did quite a bit of lobbying with the city of Edmonton and with the provincial government before I left Alberta. And it was just really tough to get past the whole, you know, we don't want to renormalize smoking. And Abby Roach has done a great job over in Ontario. She's got kind of a legal event space at the Toronto Beer Festival. And she's also worked out a deal with the uh, bylaw inspectors to bring what she calls the patio, which is kind of an outdoor space to uh, consume cannabis, to bring that back to the hotbox lounge where it had been for over a decade. So I think we will um, eventually kind of 
deal with the public consumption problem. I think it really hasn't been even considered a problem by governments. They kind of legalize this without thinking that people might want to actually consume cannabis at some point. Nice. Um, beyond that, I think globally, I mean, things are obviously happening in other countries. I think the U.S. will eventually get it back together, whether that's during Donald Trump's uh, presidency or not. You know, it may it may not be. So I think that Canada is really going to have to decide they want to like they actually want this industry um, if they're going to keep this competitive advantage because once the U.S. does legalize federally, then we will lose a lot of our primary advantage in being, well, you know, it's legal federally here if we can do things like trade on the, on the Toronto Stock Exchange mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I think some jurisdictions are just like not into this, like they'd almost rather not have it legalized. I mean, people can probably guess which ones I'm uh, talking about. Yeah. So I think if we don't kind of decide as a country that, yeah, you know, we're into this, this is a really great opportunity. And we just kind of almost deal with it as something that was forced on us that we really don't want that, you know, Canada is going to kind of fall behind. Beyond that, I'm looking forward to seeing cannabis more normalized. You know, even now after October 17th, you know, people still, if they don't work in the industry, kind of don't always tell people they consume cannabis. So I think once that's normalized and, you know, we don't have to kind of play these dumb games in terms of, you know, having other words for consuming cannabis and having mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, pretend like we don't consume it kind of thing. Um, the main other thing that I am hoping for is that we deal with this horrible bill, besides some of the praise that's being levied at our former justice minister, um, called C-46 with the driving prohibitions, because it's really draconian. And one thing I did notice when I was doing some reporting for Lyft was that a lot of industries kind of took this as an opportunity to kind of sneak policy change in, like some of the construction industries mm-hmm. basically said, well, you know, the Alberta government should just like not pay attention to the charter and just like have random drug testing everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think the sooner that bill is dealt with and it's reduced to like not having the metrics be these like unscientific per se limits, I think that bill is really going to impact marginalized people because as someone who's not like, I definitely have privilege in terms of, you know, if I am pulled over, I probably have less to worry about kind of thing. So I think Mm -hmm. C46 is is one of the main things that needs to be dealt with. And I hope it will be um, maybe not this year, probably going to take a while for cases to work to the court. Like the original Allard challenge to the right. MMPR was begun in like 2014 and it took like years and years to work its way through. So it's probably going to take a while, but I hope that dealt with um, pretty soon. Nice. Well, that's a solid answer. Now, I'm going to switch gears again. I don't want to get you in trouble here. However, can you comment on Twitter and the sort of cannabis scene and what you've experienced and uh, what you think about it? Yeah. So, I mean, Twitter is kind of the social network for for cannabis policy discussions. I know like people like Trina Frazier and Jonathan Page were kind of lamenting a while ago that it's kind of settled down and everyone's kind of, you know, picked their area and it's less like fun than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like I think you can still find that fun in like new areas, and I find most most people on Twitter in the in the cannabis space um, are pretty easygoing and uh, kind of don't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to kind of bring normal people in, into that conversation because um, I think what Brinder Rasod uh, has said on multiple conferences regarding the fact that like non-cannabis people have to be on board with this because this can easily yep. you know be walked back kind of thing. So um, I think on on Twitter there is the tendency to kind of get into the cannabis echo chamber and and like even very recently uh, there was a news story that had quotations uh, by a doctor that was basically saying that like cannabis is the next hot 
Nazi content and that, you know, we're kind of repeating old mistakes, which I definitely don't agree with. But I think right. that we have to kind of treat those people who like don't follow this all the time with um, a kid glove and not like kind of fly off the handle if we kind of read something that's like, you know, obviously wrong or kind of perpetuating bad attitudes about cannabis. Like, and I'm probably the most guilty of that of, of like anyone on Twitter, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's good to just kind of welcome those people. And, you know, when they see that the cannabis people aren't, you know, just lobbyists or, you know, aren't just just trying to get high all day, then that kind of will change their view on, on um, cannabis as well. And like the current state of cannabis media is, is, is to be honest, not good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of stories out of like the Globe and Mail and other outlets that are really just like covered in bias and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Hager, who is with the Global Mail, I think is, is actually one of the better reporters. He did a really good panel at Lift Vancouver this year um, with um, another person who's really great in the media space, um, Jill Pollard. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of once we got over the fact that the sky didn't fall after October 17th, that that kind of evolution of media started to happen. Like I think what Jill's done with the Herb Life is really good. Like there is a space for kind of what I call like normal cannabis reporting that kind of just, you know, goes over what cannabis is and kind of educates people who might not know the basics. But there also is a space for, for like different kind of media and, you know, covering different topics. So I think we're going to see that diversify, which will be really good because you can only read the same article um, so many times. It's funny, like the approach that one takes when you're you know, heavily involved in, in the Twitter world as it pertains to people in the cannabis space and the question of whether you try to reach out beyond that echo chamber and reach more people or whether you concern yourself with the people who are interested in it and grow that way. And it's funny, I interviewed uh, Dana Larson last weekend. I was asking him about his cannabis culture magazine. And one of the things mm. he said was, I just made a decision that I was going to try to appeal to people who already liked cannabis and I wasn't going to bother yeah. with people. I wasn't going to try to convert anybody anymore. And then there's that yeah. question, right? Like how much do you publish how much do you do within that echo chamber and at what point do you say is it important that we're reaching people beyond those who have already said yes i think cannabis legalization is a good thing you know reach normal quote unquote i think i'm a normal person you are too uh, yeah. but <laughs> people that aren't actually in the game all the time and talking about it and i know for me with the podcast i'm always trying to keep it simple so that you know when the day comes mm-hmm. if somebody discovers it for the first time it's all confusing and overwhelming for yeah, them yeah exactly i mean because i think it's 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 just far too easy to encircle yourself with super knowledgeable, great people who can talk about what's happening, but all of a sudden it becomes polarizing because no one else really knows what you're talking about anymore. That's yeah, what I yeah, definitely. Like um, Twitter now is like a lot, a lot less friendly than it used to be, I and mean, it's far too much people yelling at each other over politics. But um, yeah, like I think that you kind of have to tailor your knowledge to your audience. Like obviously, I would tailor a talk to the general public different than I would like at a specific security conference. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like I think there are kind of artificial walls that have kind of been built, which is not help things. Like there's the whole LP versus craft. And like not to say that, you know, there isn't bad behavior to call out from larger companies, but in some cases it's just that people will hate on pretty much anything and um, LP does. Yeah. And the similar kind of thing, I think, between certain flavors of activists and the public, when people put forward really dumb observations, just put it bluntly about cannabis and, and, you know, it's this and it's bad, that your kind of first reaction is to, like, call them out because call-out culture is, is, like, big now. But, I mean, these are the people that, like, legalization also has to work for. Like, it would be great if we could just make our own country and just, you know, have, have awesome cannabis policy. But 
Um, unfortunately, what we're making has to work for like the Marilyn Gladys, the Andrew Shears of the country, as well as the um, Dan Sutton's and <laughs> Mike Smith's and, and the Jill Flores and all of those people. So it's a hard balance to strike. And in some ways, it's kind of disappointing to people, I think, because I know that, you know, if you're on Twitter, you probably heard people say, call it like this is fake legalization, it's Prohibition 2.0. Mm-hmm. So with all this bureaucracy, I think people were kind of kidding themselves that when this was legalized, it was going to be some kind of like libertarian dream of like free markets and whatnot. Not to say that's a reason to have bad policy, but like um, it is a process. And if you look at what happened right after the prohibition of alcohol fell, it was the same kind of things like very slow to change and people were worried about, you know, all the bad things that were going to happen. And it's just going to take time. And like, it is unfortunate for the people who have like wanted this to not be at that, you know, perfect spot where we have lounges and we have like kind of free movement and all that. But you just have to be patient with government. (laughs) It is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, fair. All right. Well, I was going to call you Dan for a second based on your Twitter handle. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, how do people find out about you online? Where should they follow you? Uh, Should they be interested? Yeah, for sure. So my handle is kind of the same across Instagram and Twitter, which is Jungle Strike Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a website up now, which is mostly blogging content. I used to publish a lot on Medium, but I kind of moved all of the good stuff over to my site, which is nightcourt.ca, kind of referring to my to my alias there. I have a few pieces published in various places that are kind of floating around there, like with Nish and um, Lyft, if you search through the archives on those sites. Um, what else? I publish moments uh, on Twitter, which is basically like you take a bunch of tweets and you put it in, in a single page mm-hmm. for any of the things I cover. So if you go to my Twitter profile, there's a little moments tab. You can uh, check all those out at. And yeah, I think that's kind of more or less the online presence. I'm pretty that's your out and about in the Vancouver community. So you'll probably see me if there's a cannabis related thing going on. Oh, I'm also, sorry, <laughs> I forget. Um, I have a little Patreon going. Uh, it's obviously, you know, going on these things isn't uh, free. So uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash jungle media. Uh, if you want to donate, not um, to force anyone to, but if they want to, they can certainly do that. Well, you know what? I could sit here for like three hours, do like a Joe Rogan style podcast with you. <laughs> exactly, I mean, I yeah. think we barely even scratch the surface of, of what you do professionally. Obviously, you've got way more insights uh, than I was even anticipating on the space in general. Maybe I can have you on down the road six months from now yeah, to sure. catch up and see uh, what you're thinking about what's going on. So yeah, sure. thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Michael. I guess maybe uh, last thing I will give a shout out to is friends of mine who do a pretty cool uh, podcast, um, not mostly on politics. They actually do it on movie reviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Damn Woods, and you can go to thedamwoods.com. So just to uh, confirm, their, D-A-M-N, like dam? Yeah, you got it. Um, okay. And they have a bunch of their content up there. It's really cool if you're like into conspiracy theories, like not like actively believing them, kind of making fun of them. They have a really good couple of them on a presidential candidate in the U.S. who said he was a time traveler and he saw himself win the presidency. So you should just vote for him. Anyway, um, and a couple other uh, really good episodes. So definitely check out those guys. Um, And I've mentioned a few of the people on Twitter that are, you know, really good in the cannabis space. But um, I guess a couple others maybe I'll just give a brief shout out to are Jenna V5. Uh, She is unfortunately um, leaving us this week 
to go back to Ontario, which is a great voice for, for good drug policy. Uh, Kira London, NATO is, is also really good. And yeah, there's tons of people I could mention, but yeah, if you're active in the cannabis Twitter sphere, um, I'm sure you will find all of them. Nice. Well, I just want to say thank you for this, man. Um, I'll bump into you sometime soon, yeah, I'm sure. sure. So thank yeah, you very yeah, much. Sure. All right, take care. Yeah, no problem, Michael. I will talk to you later. So there you have it. Maybe we should call that one the official Mike Zamuda Uncovering Podcast. Thanks to Mike for taking the time to chat and provide his insights on this crazy industry. And hey, if you have a story that you'd like to tell about the cannabis industry, reach out to me, michael at distinctmedia.ca, and I would be happy to set something up. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that little subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening to this on. Tell your friends and please leave a review. Hang tight. The next Canadian Cannabis Update podcast is just around the corner. Thanks once again for listening to the Canadian Cannabis Update podcast. If you have a story that you'd like to share about the cannabis space, I would love to hear from you. Hit me up at CanadianCannabisUpdate at gmail.com or my website, CannabisUpdate.ca. And if you want to find out more about Canadian Cannabis Update and all of the other podcasts in the Cannabis Media Collective, check us out on Twitter at CanMedCall, just like Cannabis Media Collective, but abbreviated. And you can also find out more about us on Facebook, Instagram, and every podcast-related streaming site in the known universe. Check us out, the Cannabis Media Collective. All right, hit it, Ember. The media contributors within the Cannabis Media Collective do our very best to remain as accurate as possible, but take no responsibility for any inaccurate details or facts. If a story interests you, we're glad to have brought it to your attention, but please take the time to research the details for yourself.